Zeus, Hera, Thor, Ra, Baal, Jupiter. You've heard these names. Who are they? Gods, right? Yeah, ancient gods, mythical gods. But have you ever heard of Sikuth or Kiyun, the star god? Ooh, doesn't he sound exotic? Ever heard of those guys? Probably not. In some way, I feel uttering these names in a Christian house of God is blasphemous, and I'm going to be held accountable for it. But on the other hand, some of those names are mentioned in Scripture, so it seems it would be appropriate to say them since God himself is the author here. I just think it feels weird because aside from Baal, we don't hear the names of these false gods very often. Certainly not these two from Amos because, as I said earlier, this text doesn't get read on Sundays in the church. But as many times as I preached and as many times as you heard about Israel's idolatry, here we finally have a couple of names of these false deities. Well, sort of. I don't want to bore you with all the details, but some of you may be familiar with the story that not too long before Jesus was born, the Jews stopped pronouncing the name of the Lord. They stopped pronouncing Yahweh, which in the Hebrew is I am, or I will be, I always have been, that kind of thing. They stopped saying Yahweh because they regarded his name, the name he gave to Moses, as too sacred a thing to even utter. So instead, they replaced it with other words. Elohim, which is God, or Adonai, for Lord. Well, the same thing kind of happened with the names of Israel's false gods. Jewish scholars who reproduced the ancient Hebrew scrolls in the ninth century after Jesus considered the names of these false gods to be so detestable that you wouldn't even want to speak them out of your mouth. So... They added some vowels here and there, kind of changed things around. Long story short, Sikuth isn't really the name of a god. Rather, it's a play on the Hebrew word for tent or tabernacle. Now, bring out of the back of your mind the tents of the wicked from the psalm we heard earlier in the introit. Tents and tabernacles were used by the Israelites to transport and shelter the statues of these false gods. Now, the original Hebrew name was, if I say it, will I get struck down? Malach. Malach. This other guy, Kiyun, the star god, again, a, a fabricated name, a made-up name by the Masoretes. These were Jewish scribes whose sole purpose in life was to standardize the Hebrew Bible. They made up the name because the original name was too vile to even speak. So, Kiyun and Sikuth represent the same star deity, Moloch, thought to be the planet Saturn in the night sky. But see, all that detail really doesn't matter. The point is, God doesn't approve of man-made deities. And he doesn't approve of man calling the things he's made already, like the stars and the planets, gods either. He hates that. 
And what's Israel's punishment for idolatry? Exile beyond Damascus. Not Damascus, Oregon. Damascus, Syria. Israel marched these false gods around in tents, in religious processions. In response, God will march them into the desert beyond Damascus, into Assyria and Babylon, never to return. And oh, here we go again, exile. Haven't we been over all this? Well, yes, we have. But believe it or not, idolatry is still alive and well today, even among Christians. It starts in the heart, a craving, a desire, loving more than God, something or someone we ought to love less than Him. So let's take a look at the pantheon of false gods today for just a minute. These names, I bet, are going to be much more familiar to you than Sukkoth or Kian. Next slide, Jesse. God number one, money. Ask yourself, do I love money? Do I trust money to meet my needs more than God? Do I see God as the giver of money to meet my needs or... Am I the sole breadwinner? Do I have a sense of stability from God or a savings account? God number two. Next slide. Stuff. Do I love the things money can buy more than I love God? Do they bring me more joy than God's word and promises? God number three. El Presidente. Do I love the President of the United States of America, whoever he is or she is, or may have been, or who you idealize in your mind more than God? And then you should read Revelation. There's an ominous warning in John's vision against love of kings and governments. But that's for another time. God number four, identity. Do I place my identity in some characteristic I have or person that I believe that I am? Do I place all that higher than the identity Christ has given me as his very own child? Ask yourself. God number five. Well, you name it. We could keep going on with this pantheon, but enough is enough, right? The true number one God is Yahweh. I am the one who made everything, including you and me and Amos. And there are no more gods to add on to that number. And if you insist on living life on your own terms, ignoring God's will for your life, there will be consequences. You will face judgment. Yet, He provides a means of escape. Not from Him. (laughs) God provides a means of escape from the judgment of idolatry. See, there will be consequences for loving things and people more than the one who made and redeemed you with His Son. We may lose everything. Our house, our cars, our jobs, our income, our savings, our friends, those and more are the outcomes of our cravings and desires for the gods I mentioned earlier. Now, the ultimate consequence is death. Complete death. 
an indescribable everlasting torment, something none of us should want. Yet without God on our own, we are bound to. God has a way for our escape because He loves you and me. He loves the people He has made. If we confess our our idolatry, our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He did that for Israel when He brought a remnant of the people back to Jerusalem. He caused Cyrus, a pagan king, to believe in Him and let Israel go back home. Amos prophesies this. You heard it in chapter 9 when he takes a complete turn from his otherwise dour warnings to Israel. Amos says that on that day when Israel returns, God will raise up the booth of David that's fallen, and that's not a seat at Denny's or IHOP. The booth Amos refers to is a house, a tent for the righteous, not the wicked, more broadly, the kingdom of Israel. When Jill and I were in Israel, we went to David's own city that you see here. David built this along the side of Mount Moriah, which where Jerusalem sits on top. David's original core city has long crumbled away and gotten buried underneath centuries of stuff built over it time after time. But some of it's recently been uncovered, and, and you can walk amongst the walls and the ruins. You know, it's kind of amazing to hear the words of restoration from Amos and see today that Israel is rebuilding. And they have vineyards and a growing prosperous wine and fruit industry. And with their military might and other nations' help, it seems Israel will never again be uprooted from their land. But we know the prophecy of Amos goes way beyond the modern nation of Israel, right? The prophecy of restoration for the people of God is not completely fulfilled in a land, but in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Look, mountains dripping with sweet wine. You heard that in in Amos? Gardens with fruit. And in other parts of Scripture, beautiful cities decked with jewels, tables of all-you-can-eat rich meat and wine made from the best grapes, daylight all the time that doesn't burn the skin or cause cancer, streams of cool flowing water, no more tears, no more sadness. All of this is to be received in the true man and true God, Jesus Christ. He fulfills those promises and offers them to you and me as a blessed future forever. Look, it's deadly to despise or even ignore God's threats of judgment and punishment as the people of Amos' time did. But for us today who have the Messiah, who've heard from the witnesses that He lives, it's even more foolhardy to turn one's nose from all the gracious promises of life on the new earth. That's why in our prayers, we thank God that He wrote these words through the prophets and others, such as the apostles, for our learning. And we ask God that we might hear them repeatedly and often 
and read them. Mark them in our hearts and our minds. Learn them and inwardly digest them that by patience and comfort of His holy word we may ever hold more tightly on to the blessed hope of everlasting life. May it be so for all of us here today and may it be so for all of you watching and listening from home. Amen.